0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: Today's guest has been a practicing physician for nearly 50 years in both conventional medicine and what you could call alternative or functional or integrative medicine. Uh, He's been a primary reference for my book, Headstrong, in his work on mitochondrial biology and is someone who knows more than you might expect on how viruses operate inside the body and what you can do about almost any virus in the body. I am talking about Dr. Frank Schallenberger, who is a world-class expert in anti-aging and ozone. Uh, Frank, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks for a really nice intro, Dave. Appreciate that.
1: Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's more than earned. Uh, I talk a lot in some of my books, uh, especially my anti-aging book, but one of the reasons that we owe it to ourselves to live longer than we're supposed to uh is that we can finally have enough wisdom and enough energy at the same time in order to share it (laughs) good point (laughs) i think you live that and i'm I'm soaking up your wisdom anytime i get a chance i'm gonna just have to ask coronavirus and ozone what are your thoughts
2: wow okay so how much time we have
1: (laughs) we've got at least an hour
2: Yeah, there's a couple things. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is I don't know that most people understand how this works, how how this whole viral thing works. But uh, because I keep hearing people talk about, you know, how to kill a virus when the reality is you can't kill something that's not alive. Right. And a virus isn't alive. And so that a virus can't make energy. It can't use oxygen. It can't replicate it's, it's a piece of inert material. It can't do anything except what it can do is it can um, infest, it can be in, introduced into cells and then use the genetic material in the cells to replicate itself.
1: I, I, I like to think of it as sort of a software program, but it doesn't have a computer to run itself. It needs a cell to run itself on. Is that a good analogy?
2: Well, it, yeah, it, needs to, it can't replicate on its own. It needs, it needs my cell's genetic material and energy and ATP and such to be able to replicate itself. And then so I got a cell in there. It's infected with the virus, and the, and the cell basically is turning into a viral factory is just cranking out more viruses, which ultimately get released into uh, outside the cell, into the interstitial space, then infects another cell and on and on you go. So basically what you're doing is you're making um, uh, viral factories one after another. And what you can do is you can do things that deactivate the, the free virus, which is good, but what you the way we actually get over a viral infection, is by killing the factories,
1: the, the infected so, cells. Yes,
2: yeah, so you got to have a way of killing the infected cells without killing the cells that aren't infected. How do we do that? You do that, in my mind, by upregulating uh, what certain cytokines that activate what's called the innate immune system. They call this the innate immune system. Uh, it's also known as the TH one. Uh, uh, immune system, but this is the one that activates natural killer cells and cytotoxic CD8 cells. And those are the items that actually kill cells. Okay, Antibodies themselves can kill the virus, but what kills the factory is the innate immune system. So you have to have something that will stimulate the innate immune system in patients. And you uh, know, I, I tell my patients, for example, the guy that... Um, The guy that gets exposed to the virus and gets, quote, infected by the virus, uh, but never has symptom one, is the guy with a really good innate immune system at the time of exposure.
1: How do you have strong innate immunity so that if you get infected, you just don't go to the hospital?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, that's the idea. Try and keep your innate immune system up as much as you can. One of the problems with that is that it's very sensitive to to stresses, mm-hmm. anywhere from anxiety type stresses like mental stresses, but also to, you know, environmental changes, anything bad sleep, whatever, whatever stressing your system out. That immune system, that part of your immune system can be downregulated pretty quickly. Uh,
1: are there any uh, supplements, drugs, breathing exercises for? Uh- magnets glued to the top of your head. Uh, I'm just kidding on that one. Uh, but it basically, it if you had someone who came to you and said, I got a bad night's sleep, uh, I'm hungover, uh, and I'm going to go hang out in a coronavirus clinic today, <laughs> what would you do based on 50 years of, of helping people?
2: Okay, so, uh, you know, I'm well, I'm definitely going to talk about is ozone. So okay. we'll, we'll come back around to ozone. But um, one thing that's, that's a pill that you could take could be one of the mushrooms. Ah, which one? Uh, I'm thinking shiitake, maitake, not cordyceps. Cordyceps, okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I like and, the
1: Australian versions of those. that cordyceps species there.
2: Astragalus is really oh. good for this too.
1: Yeah, uh, Andrographis. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Yeah. So all of those things, I think, uh, during a flu season, a pretty good idea to take, especially if you're traveling a lot, or you know, you're not getting the sleep that you want to get, and so forth and so on. You feel kind of stressed.
1: Uh, so you would tell that person who is in a weakened state who is going to go into an a environment where they could get the virus, um, okay, you want to be taking those supplements. Was there anything that they should do that morning other than maybe put on a mask so you don't breathe it and don't touch your face and wash your hands and all that kind of crap?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, you know what's really what knocks viruses uh, out, just destroys them, is uh, zinc, topical zinc. Nice. Okay. And so I like these little lozenges that you can suck on and you can like more or less suck on them all day long if you want. But but while, while they're slowly dissolving in your mouth, whatever virus might be in your mouth is going to get deactivated by that zinc.
1: Uh, zinc lozenges definitely have uh, have merit and just zinc itself, We as we understand more about how the virus is getting into hemoglobin and in cells and uh, things like that. It seems like zinc is just a no brainer at this point. Um, you're... In fact, something else besides ozone, I wanted to talk to you about uh, is uh, your or you have been throughout your career into oxidative medicine. Basically, how do we make mitochondria better at turning <laughs> air and food into electrons? And. You've talked about intravenous hydrogen peroxide. In fact, I did it uh, 20 mm-hmm. years ago. When I had you know, lime uh, that I thought was, actually I had lime and mold and I thought the problems were from Lyme disease, but the problems were from toxic mold as they are for many people who, who have uh, Lyme. And uh, I did intravenous hydrogen peroxide in Santa Rosa, but it was hard to get there and I'm not sure that it did very much. Uh, and I ended up switching to ozone therapy You've since then, though, said, you know, I think breathing hydrogen peroxide in a, uh, in a, a vaporizer or a nebulizer, uh, at least I've seen it written with your name on it, so I'm going to assume you said it, <laughs> uh, that uh, inhaling hydrogen peroxide in low doses as a vapor was as effective as intravenous. Should I be walking around with a little spritzer of hydrogen peroxide if I'm in a hospital full of sick people and spritzing my mouth every now and then?
2: That would be, that would be a good idea, but that, I don't know that you can really breathe that without gagging. Okay. You you sort of have to put it in what they call a nebulizer. Correct. Which you, you know what that is, and it's going to break it down into teeny weeny little bubbles that that will be okay in the bronchial tract and won't you know be irritating.
1: I I have a little battery powered nebulizer I've had for years to not get sick when I travel, and you can put glutathione and things in there. which for for people listening. Uh, you can get something that attaches to a little air compressor that pumps air through it. You can use oxygen and they run about 40 bucks for a little nebulizer and you add some, uh, some hydrogen peroxide to it, but that's hard to carry around. The one I have looks like you're you're vaping. <laughs> so if they don't like you doing that in hospitals either, unless they know what they're doing, but uh, that might be something to consider. Um, it, uh, but you're saying that that's just not convenient enough compared to a zinc lozenge. Uh, what about in the nose? Uh, colloidal silver? Is that useful?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do that for okay. myself. They have these um, uh, silver sprays, nasal sprays, yeah. and I'll take it on the plane with me, for example. Uh, me too. Yeah. And just before okay. I get on and maybe if it's a long flight in the middle of the flight or something.
1: Okay, so just, that's, how, that's how you'd stay well.
2: Okay. Yeah, well, just, you know, you never know. That's all.
1: Yeah. I I fly uh, at least I'm on the road about 150 days of the year in a normal year not right now and I used to have chronic sinusitis so I would I would I had serious problems with this I became very militant about that and I don't have to be as militant about about that because I just don't get sick uh, very often at all anymore but um, it was a big challenge to keep to keep from getting sick so I'd have the nasal spray every yeah. time I'd fly and all that and I think as people age uh, or at times when there's a lot of crap around in the air it's just it's good general practice. Um, so you like colloidal silver nasal spray. Um, you like topical zinc in the throat. Uh, we want to increase innate immunity uh, and we want to turn on that the TH1 system, which is the innate system. Uh, so uh, let's get into ozone therapy. I mean, your okay. book, The Ozone Miracle, and, and this is what we talked about in your last interview. So if this is, you're new to ozone therapy, you're like, Dave, what are you guys talking about? Uh, in that case, you definitely wanna hear the last interview, which is interview 524 uh, with Dr. Schallenberger. Uh, but the basics of this is that ozone can help with all sorts of stuff in the body. Can you walk people through why that works? When I say all sorts of stuff? I'm not kidding. Mm. So uh, Frank, kinda of give new listeners uh, a picture of what ozone therapy can do, broad spectrum, and then we'll zoom in on viruses.
2: Uh, let's, see, let's see if this is a good explanation. Uh, it, it's a thing called a signaling molecule.
1: for a 7-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use.
2: So it sends a signal. It turns out that the body does make actual gases. We always think the body making these liquids and the liquid, the molecules are doing some, but it also will make a gas. And these gases can be what we call signaling molecules. They signal things to go on in the body and in the cells that without that signal wouldn't go on that well. Okay, And th- th- what's cool about ozone is that it signals all kinds of systems to do all kinds of things. And so that's why we can use it in so many different areas.
1: Uh, so your cells make a little bit of ozone uh, themselves and as well as hydrogen peroxide, your natural killer cells will do this too, to envelop any invader. Do your cells see the virus as an invader or do they just see an infected cell as an invader?
2: I think they, they are, look, I don't know, but I, I think the cell, the the innate immune system cells, these cytotoxic CT8 cells, are able to detect a cell that's sick. Yep. That cell could be sick from a virus, but it could be mutated, it could be sick from a carcinogen, you know, a toxin, a petrochemical, whatever. But it can tell the cell when it's sick is going to put out some kind of signal that those white cells can recognize and they just kill it as soon as they find that signal.
1: I'm I like. i I'm, I'm still thinking of, of viruses as sort of someone walked around and sprinkled USB drives everywhere. And then cells like, oh, here's a USB drive. I'm going to pick it up and stick it in. And then all of a sudden the cell is a USB manufacturer. So these special cells, the CD8 cells, the NK cells, they're going to go around. They're going to spot the cells that are doing that and they're going to blow them up. And they're going to ideally blow them up without getting the virus themselves because CD8 cells don't do that. Good picture?
2: Yeah, that sounds right. They're going to make certain cytokines and the cytokines will stimulate the NK cells, stimulate the CD8 cells, and that's the balance.
1: So who wins from ozone then? Because the CD8 cells are going to make ozone. Now I've just introduced a bunch of extra ozone into my body. By the way, not by breathing it. If you guys are listening to this, going, what are you talking about? You have to either put it in your blood through your skin or um, basically up your butt.
2: (laughs) Yeah, any place but through the lungs. There you go. And what what ozone will do, and we know this, this is all good good published stuff, really strong data. We know that ozone upregulates the innate immune system. Okay. And it does that by stimulating these molecules called cytokines. Well, you know what, a lot of people, Dave, I'm not sure that people understand that when you get an infection, this could be a, a bacterial infection too. Yeah. But when you get an infection and then you're over the infection, I don't. I think a lot of people think, well, that bug must be out of my system now. That's just not true. If you get a strep infection or a mycoplasma infection or whatever you get, after the infection's over and you're well, it's still in your body. Interesting. Yeah, it doesn't go away. And what happens is your immune system recognizes it, understands it, and corrals it, sort of puts it in, uh, in solitary confinement. So it can't really do anything. It's holding on to it. But think of this. If you just go in, say, with an antibiotic or some, something that directly destroys the bacteria or the virus, uh, you still have to have that system to contain it. Otherwise, you'll never get over it.
1: Okay. And so that's the it's point. It's all about immunity,
2: okay. Yeah, you, you could take all the antibiotics in the world. AIDS taught us this. You can take antibiotics all in the world. You'll never get over any kind of infection if you don't have an immune system to eventually take charge.
1: All right, so we take ozone, and then the ozone gives us a stronger innate immune system, which can then corral viruses, but viruses aren't alive. It'll corral viruses.
2: Well, they corral, they, they corral the cells that are making them. Yeah.
1: okay. But doesn't it eventually eliminate those cells because they're sick, it kills them, autophagy, you get rid of them?
2: I don't know that I want to ever think that they're totally gone, because the reality, the reality is every infection we've ever had in our life, even though it's no longer, quote, active, you still probably can detect that in your body.
1: Yeah, there's epigenetic markers. What, six to eight percent of our DNA comes from viruses that our species has been infected with over time. So they're kind of with us, okay?
2: It's just that that's what we do. We live with them.
1: Yeah, and sometimes we incorporate them, and it's actually useful DNA for us as well.
2: There's probably some stuff like that, too, yeah. Uh,
1: So it's such a complex system. What are some of the viral infections that you've seen ozone therapy cure that that aren't supposed to be fixable? Or what? What? Tell me some hard case stories that okay, you've seen. Okay, so
2: so you know normally in my clinic people come in if they've got a flu type syndrome I just put them on this protocol and they're over it. I don't normally test what the virus is.
1: What's and you say this protocol? What's the protocol?
2: Uh, the protocol. Uh, let me get into that in a sec. Okay. But I wanted to get this idea out, and that is that. I don't really—it works on every virus, so I exactly. don't really test.
1: <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter. However,
2: I have had patients come in with documented West Nile, documented influenza A and B, and documented hantavirus. Oh, that's a fun I have had one. those documented come in because they weren't getting well, you know, with the other therapies they were doing, and knock those out. So I know I can knock those three out.
1: Uh, I've seen— um I've seen people like Robert Rowans talked about using ozone on Ebola uh, with with great success. Sure. So there's there's at least uh, a few cases of that. Um, so if if you, I'll, I'll be real blunt. If you yourself had the symptoms of coronavirus right now, what would step one be?
2: Okay. So my what my protocol is number one. People ought to be doing this probably anyway during a flu season, and that would be make sure your vitamin D levels are decent. Okay. Uh, make sure your vitamin A levels are decent. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure your zinc levels are decent.
1: How much zinc do you take, or do you think it's normal? Well? Uh,
2: for me, 15 milligrams orally okay. a day, pretty much. Uh, so I, you know, that's first line of defense. Mm-hmm. Second line of defense is if you're actually coming down with something. You want to be on those things, but now you got to get more aggressive. Okay. So the first thing I haul out is my nebulizer. So you know, uh, back in uh, the early 80s, Dr. Charlie Farr was the guy that taught me this about how how what hydrogen peroxide does. And interestingly enough, back then when he told me about this, Dave, the way he checked it out was using the VO2 analysis that I know you guys use. Oh yeah,
1: we uh, we've got that at Upgrade Labs, the one you invented.
2: So, so he, uh, you know, he he used that VO2 analysis before and after uh, H2O IVs, and that's how he established all the protocols he established. Well, one day about 20 years ago, a, a patient comes into my office, and uh, at that point, I had just been using intravenous hydrogen peroxide as per Dr. Farr's protocol. Uh and very successfully it works good the problem is the patient's got to be in the office yeah. i got to stick a needle in their arm blah 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 uh but other than that it worked great but i got this patient in the office and she's complaining to me that you know her doctor gave her a uh, medication that she puts in her nebulizer and it revs her up it was albuterol. It's like a stimulant. It's oh, like yeah, it feels speed. great. <laughs> take, it's like taking speed. Her heart rate would get up. She didn't feel good, blah, blah, blah. And that, and it just suddenly occurred to me. He so said, you know what? It's blatantly obvious, but I never thought about it. Uh, when, you, when you take something into your lungs, it gets into your bloodstream.
1: That's why smoking works.
2: Hello. You know. But it never really occurred to me. So I thought, well, what the heck? Let's put some hydrogen peroxide in there. It's going to get into her bloodstream. Plus... Uh, it's going to, uh, you know, on its way down into her bloodstream, it's going to go past those areas that are typically infected. So it seems to me a nebulizer is good. So if I wake up one morning and I feel, you know, something's coming on, like I got a sore throat or, you know, something's happening, uh, I haul out that nebulizer and I'm going to do it, uh, you know, for about three minutes, every hour, every hour I'm awake. And within one or two days, I'll pretty much knock that out.
1: Every hour. So you're putting yeah. the the typical ultrasonic nebulae just take about six, uh, six milliliters, like a like, uh, relatively small. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I only
2: put three in there. You put oh, only three. T- so it's a small amount. Three. Okay. Every, yeah. It's like, what, 10 half, minutes out of the like hour. Half
1: a teaspoon or something.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Or uh, maybe two thirds of a teaspoon. So you, you put that in there. Um, you turn it on, you, you breathe and stuff. You can do other things, but it's a little bit noisy for some of them. The ultrasonics don't make any sound. But they look a little funny.
2: Yeah, you know, when, when you're when you're uh, fighting the flu, you probably ought to be home.
1: Yeah. Laying
2: that's... in bed, sucking on your nebulizer and your, your zinc tablets and not try to, you know, force yourself to go on that trip that you're supposed to go on.
1: That would be nice to everyone yeah, else as well. Yeah, that would be
2: nice. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. But that's
2: part of the game is getting some rest.
1: So you had... You'd make sure that you had your A, your D, your zinc ahead of time. When you started feeling sick, you'd be nebulizing hydrogen peroxide. This is just three uh, percent medical grade stuff—the stuff you can buy at the store. But make sure it's no no stabilizers. Anything else? Anything to worry about in terms okay, of purity? Okay, so
2: so for the audience, uh you know, I. I use pharmaceutical grade stuff, but it's really hard to get that. It is, and especially for a lot of lay people, they they can't get that, and and then you have to put it in normal saline. You can't put it in regular water, so you gotta get normal saline. So where do you get normal saline? I mean, you gotta. It's hard for lay people to get this stuff. So uh, what I can do is I can tell everybody, on if you go on Amazon and probably some other, you know places you can get pure sodium chloride that'd be Mm -hmm. pure salt yeah uh you don't want to use taboo salt you want to get the pure sodium chloride and if you take uh, a liter of um of uh of of distilled water Mm -hmm. and you put in two and a quarter teaspoons of pure sodium chloride you've got normal saline and it'll just dissolve in there
1: and in, in a pinch, you could take the most filtered water you get, you boil it so it's sterilized yeah. with that same amount of salt in there.
2: Yeah, and, distilled would be great, but yeah. you could do what you're saying. Yeah, okay. for I'm, sure.
1: I'm saying in a pinch because, you know, like, yeah. oh, I wasn't going to go to the store. I'm, you know, shedding viruses everywhere. So you, you could do that. And then you obviously you'd want to cool it off. And then you'd have a 1% saline solution, which your lungs like versus just straight up hydrogen peroxide.
2: It's it's technically it's a 0.9 percent solution, and that's perfect for for your lungs. And then what? Here's how they do it: they go out and they get 34 percent food grade hydrogen peroxide. Again, you can buy this online.
1: Yeah, but that's what will burn your skin, your eyes. Like it is a highly caustic chemical. Just to be really yes. clear, okay?
2: <laughs> Don't be if you put it on your skin; it's going to do a little damage there. Yeah. Uh, so just be a little bit careful with it. And then what you do is you take 100 cc's of that normal saline, and to that you add one cc of the 30 per, 34%. And that is the concentration I use.
1: So if—and so what you're basically getting there is around 3% hydrogen peroxide?
2: Um, I'm not sure of the percentage. I think it's a point—I think it's a 1.84, but I'm not sure. Okay, so it could be
1: uh, one half. Yeah. So, so, if uh, what I'm doing uh, is we'll call it the, the poor man's version of that, which is I'm taking uh, medical grade stuff um, that I bought at the pharmacy that says it has exactly two ingredients. So, there's no stabilizers. It's you know, uh, purified water and uh, hydrogen peroxide and nothing else. So, if okay. it has other stuff, uh, Perfect. and I put a little sprinkling of salt in there, it's probably not exactly 0.9% sodium, but it's probably close enough. Uh, and then I shake it up and then I put it in my nebulizer. Am I going to die?
2: You know what? Uh, people have been <laughs> doing different versions of this for a long time and getting some pretty darn good results. Okay. Uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day who did something very similar to what you're doing. And he had great results. And, and it was like twice as strong as what I use.
1: Yeah. The, if but you he did the great straight- results. If you did the straight three percent, a little
2: irritation. Okay. You know, people can know if you're doing this, it's not supposed to irritate you. If it does, you probably want to calm it down somehow.
1: Okay, so just back off, add a little bit yeah. more straight saline. Okay, so but it's low concentration, and just to be super ten thousand percent clear. Under no circumstances ever would you take thirty-four percent or any highly concentrated hydrogen peroxide. Put it directly in an emulizer. Like that could be no way, a complete disaster. So
2: you kill yourself. Uh, It'd be horrible. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it would it, it would be really really bad. So what we're talking about here is highly dilute, less than three percent. Um, and which is why if you buy it pre diluted at the store, it just doesn't have the salt in it, but it may have other things in it. So okay, so that that would be your first step. So now you've taken your vitamins. Um, you you're now every hour. Uh, at least while you're awake you're nebulizing this 1.84% hydrogen peroxide um, could people put in a vaporizer if they didn't have a nebulizer
2: yeah i've okay. heard of that i've heard of those you know those i think they call them atomizers yeah. that you put the uh, essential oil oh, in
1: yeah those are ultrasonic nebulizers yeah, anyway so you, you could, could put you yeah. could
2: put it in there
1: okay just don't put that cayenne essential oil in at the same time. And people bad have idea.
2: done what you told me too, and that was just spraying it back in your throat. Yeah. It doesn't really get in your lungs, but it gets in your throat.
1: And for for stopping you from getting an infection while you're walking yeah. around a, a ward or something, that might not be a bad strategy, but eventually you'll get irritated if it's 3% and you're, you're putting that in there, okay. What else would you do? Okay, you're, you're a functional medicine doctor, you've got a clinic, you have your magic bag of tricks from 50 years of working on cool stuff, yeah. and you teach other doctors around the world how to use ozone therapy. So right now you've used the first step of oxidative medicine, uh, which is the hydrogen peroxide. What else would you do to make yourself well fast or at least avoid the hospital?
2: Okay, so if, uh, if my flu patient looks halfway decent, and they're not immune compromised uh, or chronic lung disease or something like that, that's all I'm gonna do, just what I told you. That's it, wow. That's it. Okay. And they'll knock it out at home and that'll be that. You know, I don't know that everybody knows this, but coronavirus is a pretty common virus. Oh,
1: it's super common. It's like half the cold viruses are in that family, right?
2: Yeah, so I know I've knocked out coronaviruses, it's just not officially.
1: Yeah, and it's not necessarily this coronavirus.
2: It's not this particular strain, yeah.
1: Have you read any of the research around the virus uh, breaking down hemoglobin and releasing free iron into the body and causing damage to the lungs?
2: I'm sure that's the mechanism. At some point, there's going to be an oxidative burst and a cytokine storm, and that's what's going to do people in.
1: And they're they're saying that that's probably what's causing the, the uh, ground glass uh, on both lungs all the time. There's no single-sided coronavirus. <laughs> Um, I, I'm just wondering. I, I, I've I've seen some really convincing papers amongst like the high end functional medicine doctor friends um, that that uh, they're all circulating, um, looking at three different pathways that show that this free iron is being released. Mm. Um, so you know when you prove something's happening via genetics, via some computational analysis, and via some lab testing, like, right, guy that's probably likely. Um, I'm a little concerned if we do have free iron floating around that's causing extra oxidative stress in the lungs. And then I hit that with an additional oxidative load, hydrogen peroxide. Is that something to worry about?
2: It doesn't seem to be. Okay. Uh, because we that's what we do and the patient gets better. Uh, it does seem to be something you worry about, but you got to remember, dose is everything. All oxidative medicines follow our hermetic curve, uh, which means that At a lower dose, they're going to have one effect. At a higher dose, they're going to have a directly opposite effect. So you better get the dose right. You'd use too high a dose, you're going to get exactly what you said. Okay. More is not better with oxidative medicine.
1: All right, so it it matters. And you wouldn't actually go to ozone, uh, for well, I
2: yeah, it depends on the case, but okay. you know, it uh, you know, I love ozone. I put everybody on ozone if I can, okay. uh, self included, by the way. But uh, and I use ozone once a week. I'd use a blood treatment once a week just for general purposes. Uh, but the point is, it's, it's it, you know, if I can spare my patient the uh, expense, that's what I try to do, and normally I can. But I'll tell them, listen, if you don't think you're getting over this or if, if I am personally concerned about that patient, the next thing I do is I'm going to put them on about a 12 milligram dose of ozone, followed by a 10 to 25 milligram dose of uh, intravenous vitamin C, and within one or two days, I'll flat knock that out. It'll be gone.
1: So you do ozone first, and then how long after the ozone therapy do you administer the vitamin C?
2: immediately but the, the vitamin C always wants to be after never before because it will counter
1: so, so you you briefly introduce this signaling molecule and then you put in vitamin C to mop up any uh, any damage exactly from it. exactly now one of the things that we know vitamin C does with free iron is it binds up the free iron so that it wouldn't be a problem and i i'm am, i'm am very convinced that that's why these these uh, amazing doctors in China and France discovering intravenous vitamin C for the Isn't first. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like been around for what, uh, for longer yeah. than you've been practicing medicine, hasn't yeah.
2: it? Yeah, you know, I have a uh, I have a uh, uh, an associate that that I know who's fairly high up in the CDC, in the infectious disease department of the CDC, and uh, he has told me when you're when you're over there you do not talk about anything natural yeah, or you'll get a bad look. Everything's got to be a vaccine or drug over there. And I was shocked, but yeah, they are flat out, according to this man, yeah. they are flat out not interested in anything that's not patentable,
1: period. And it, it, it's kind of disturbing because if you're interested in controlling disease, the easiest way to control disease is you make people so well that if they get sick, they don't have to go to the hospital. And then there is no curve to flatten, because it's just another cold season, and that is—I'm pretty sure I could do that for only one trillion dollars instead of two trillion. <laughs>
2: like, come on! Like, yeah, ugh. it might not be that expensive. It, <laughs> it's really crazy. Yeah, yeah. Which reminds me, Dave, I was thinking the other day—you know—the the world at this point is fairly obsessed with hygiene,
1: uh, and in a way that's going to cause more harm later, right?
2: Well, that—that's another conversation. Okay. But what about internal hygiene? All we care about is external yeah come on there's internal hygiene mm. that's way more important
1: but frank my my poop doesn't smell if that's what you're saying
2: <laughs> <I'm glad. laughs> like we, we all have gut back.
1: bacteria that's messed up <laughs> um, you know i don't I don't have a uh, IV intravenous, uh, set here. Um, I actually, I have one for emergency use. If I was dying and there were no hospitals, I could, uh, I have Good. glass, glass syringes and I have medical ozone here. Um, Good. but I'm not messing around with that because that is truly like, you know, zombie apocalypse time. Uh, I do though have the ability to rectal ozone. Uh, so I, I woke up, uh, earlier than I wanted to this morning. I said, Oh, I have a little extra time for the kids wake up. So I did uh, about a half a liter of rectal ozone uh, at 40 gamma. Um, and then uh, I sat in my infrared sauna for a while uh, and I, I feel really good. Uh, and I do that during this time, probably two or three times a week uh, and it, it absorbs. And I, I learned how to do that from a guy you might know, Dr. Gallagher, was a dentist in Sunnyvale who's since passed away. Um, he okay. was in his late 80s, 20 years ago when he taught me to do it. Um, and he'd been doing ozone uh, dentistry for many, many years, uh, and uh, I have found that that's what you know, that's what fixed my toxic mold exposure. It, it literally rejuvenated my mitochondria, gave me my brain back, uh, and it, it gave me a functioning immune system after just years of of really serious dysfunction from living with Stachybotrys and other toxic molds. Um, but now I, I'm not exposed. I live in a farm. I have very very low risk, <laughs> not to mention yeah. all my other stuff. But I just uh, I like to feel good and I like to know that I, I'm well. Uh, and I also like to know that um, should there be a, a really serious uh, a really serious problem um, that you know people that I know are, are having problems, I got an extra ozone machine. Uh, and an extra bottle of oxygen. So literally, I would put it at the front of the driveway and say, I'm not I'm not licensed. Here's the machine. You guys can use it if you want. <laughs> um, because it's that much of a lifesaver. I mean, for yeah. any any plague pandemic that, that would happen, I consider it to be that plus a, a generator. So I have electricity. That is my number one most important piece of equipment after a water pump. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I know any bacterial and any viral infection, I can probably kill it. Am I too faithful in the power of ozone?
2: Uh, you know, the antibiotics are needed sometimes. Steroids are needed sometimes. Fluids, I got all that. Well, one of the things I love most about ozone is that it complements everything. So you can just it pile it on. If you're on an antibiotic, fine. Yeah, There is really no contraindication to any uh, you know, mainstream sort of therapy. To just tagging this on. And when you add it on, it's a lot better. Whatever you're doing, yeah. it just automatically got better. It,
1: it, that's certainly been my experience. All, all the literature I've read. Uh, so I, I'm I'm definitely not a prepper, but I do have all the food I need because it grows on my farm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's a different perspective. Uh, but if you if you practice permaculture, you know you have seeds in your garage because you had to plant them anyway and, and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, for all the people listening who are preppers, seriously, if you don't have an ozone generator it would replace two-thirds of the drugs that will expire in your stash. And you can use it to sterilize water if you need to. Uh, so it seems like one, treat burns, everything crazy. So it seems like it's one of those those kind of medical miracles for lack of, oh wait, The Ozone Miracle, that's your book.
2: <laughs> it would be nice if everybody had one. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And the book, by the way, uh, uh, you know, if, if you're a person out there and you're interested in knowing what can I do at home, like kind of what you're talking about, yep. Dave, that's what that book is about. Yeah.
1: It is a very worthy read. That was one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the show to to talk about it. Um, Are are you if you tomorrow woke up and you had a sniffle? uh, I mean, you're I I don't know how old you are. You're younger than you're you're older than you look, but you know you've been practicing for fifty years, so you know you're you've got to be at least seventy. And. Uh, uh, so it, you're, you would classically be considered in a high risk because as you age, your yeah. mitochondrial function goes down and all that stuff. Would you be particularly worried about yourself, or do you think your cells in your immune system are? Not, no, you're shaking your head. You wouldn't be worried. Feel like I've got no, this.
2: No, you know, I, I wear that that shirt I got at uh, your conference uh, last year. Uh, does this say "unstoppable" or something? Yeah, like. we've got
1: an unstoppable shirt. All right, yeah, yeah I like from- that
2: unstoppable shirt because <laughs> I kind of feel unstoppable. I know I'm not. I know obviously there's vulnerabilities there, but no, I do not feel like uh, you know my age. And, and it is a little bit weird when I'm listening to the radio or somebody saying, you know, if you're if you're over seventy, you're in trouble now. I just. I don't feel that's true.
1: You know, that's if you're average and, you know, you look at Italy, man, yeah. the people who died, the average age was 81.5 and they had an average of three preexisting Hello. conditions. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, and one of them was diabetes. Like, tell me about mitochondria and diabetes. <laughs> so, did we talk about this before? Oh, we probably uh, did, but that was yeah, so, you know 150 episodes ago. So, people, so, so there's a lot of new listeners.
2: Yes. So, diabetes is like your classic disease. I wrote a book about this because of this reason. Mm-hmm. It's your classic disease of mitochondrial dysfunction, such that. It could be totally eliminated. I'm talking about type two diabetes. Yeah, could be totally eliminated or close to totally eliminated simply by maintaining mitochondrial function. You don't have to do anything else if you would do that. Yeah. Uh,
1: in fact, it, I've started to view it after writing my mitochondria book uh, as, uh, in fact, the one that referenced a lot of your work um it's a, type 2 diabetes is, at its core, just a disease of mitochondrial deficiency. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and there could be different reasons for mitochondrial deficiency, uh, but they're not working. Um, would ozone therapy fix diabetes because it has such a powerful effect on mitochondria?
2: Yes. <laughs> Shocking. You got to get a, You know, you can't wait until you're you know, very far progressed and things have really become problematic uh, to get the best results. But if you do it fairly early on, absolutely.
1: Okay. If you're practicing intermittent fasting, when would you administer ozone therapy? During the fast, after the fast, before you start fasting?
2: I probably, I normally want people to eat before I give them the treatment because it will create a hypoglycemia.
1: When you're doing it via, uh, via IV?
2: Yeah, maybe even in other ways, too, like even a sauna, it's possible. It okay. can cause a low blood sugar. And let's face it, if you're doing that, odds are halfway decent. You're sick anyway, in which case, you know, you're going to be a little bit weak in that way. And okay. so I don't know that I'd want you doing it on a fast unless you're a pretty strong guy anyway.
1: Okay. And in your case, even if you're not sick, you're doing one treatment a week, right? And you yeah. eat, you eat before your treatments? Yes. Okay, got it. Do you worry about the ozone oxidizing lipids in the blood or creating oxidized LDL cholesterol or anything like that?
2: Yeah, actually, I want it to do that.
1: To create oxidized LDL, do yes, explain, because so. so many people <laughs> say, oh, cholesterol is not really bad. Oh, wait, we think it might be bad. No, it's not, but oxidized LDL is, is horrifying. Well, Why yeah. would you want Oxi- that?
2: Oxidized LDL is actually the form of LDL that causes the problem. So they're absolutely right. Doesn't matter, matter if your LDL is high, and your oxy, oxidized LDL is low. You're in pretty good shape. I wouldn't worry, you know. But you're saying worry about that. I thought you said you wanted the ozone to oxidize the LDL. Well, what's happening is ozone is when it it interacts with any kind of living tissue, mm-hmm. it pretty much in, in a second disappears. It's no longer there. It's it's except an electron almost always from a lipid, so a fat. LDL is a fat, so it will accept an electron from the LDL. And in fact, you will get an increase in the oxidized LDL. I haven't measured this, but I'm pretty sure you would. It, it almost has to work that way, right? Yeah, you're going to get ox- whatever lipids in there, probably you're going to oxidize it. There's a good chance. And these then these oxidized lipids, including the oxidized LDL, are what mediates the signaling that this this ozone molecule can do. Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of oxidated LDL, but let's face it. What's going to happen is when you get the oxidized LDL, you are going to stimulate the systems that suppress oxidized LDL. So over the long run, your LDL is actually going down. We have looked at this specifically with, with other lipids, not with LDL, but with other lipids. And we've seen you start the ozone therapy, the oxidized lipids go up. And maybe after seven days, now they start coming down and they'll actually around the 12th day go below baseline. So you'll actually fix the problem. It's ironic, but a little bit of a bad thing is a good thing if you'll stay with it. Okay. But the dose is critical.
1: So the, the dose is critical. All right. Uh, I I think it's one of those ways of restoring metabolism. Um, and it my mother has, uh, uh, she came down with very suddenly an uh, autoimmune uh, hemolytic uh, anemia.
2: Huh, okay.
1: And I said, hey mom, you know, you're, you're doing some traditional stuff that's not, not traditional, some Western medicine stuff that's not working here. I really, really, really think you should try ozone therapy. And uh, my dad just sent a, a chart of her labs uh, since she, and she's getting weekly labs since she started doing ozone. Magically, all the labs went from red to yellow to green over the course of about <laughs> six or eight weeks. Uh, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if, if ozone therapy was a major contributor um, to saving her because you know, that can be a, a really you know, pernicious, uh, uncomfortable thing. And the main difference there was you know, prednisone didn't work, <laughs> but ozone seemed like it did. So uh, it, it's one of those things where you don't know, but you're unlikely to cause harm with ozone. Are there... Well, that- are yeah, conditions that's one of the nice bad? things
2: about it. I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to hurt somebody as long as I get that dose right.
1: Okay, so if you get the dose right, uh, there's no medical condition you're aware of where ozone would be a bad deal.
2: Well, actually, I I need to say number one, there are, but they're unusual. Okay. But you you can get a deficiency of an enzyme called G6PD. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, that's not that unusual. Like one in a hundred thousand or something.
2: Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But if I'm you guessing, have but, yeah. that, you know that that could potentially be a problem. Okay. Uh, if, you're, if you're in a state of what we call thyrotoxicosis, your thyroid is hyper elevated in a disease type state and not being controlled, that's a contraindication.
1: Okay. So, very useful.
2: If you're having an acute cardiovascular event, so you're acutely stroking or you're acutely having a heart attack, that would be contraindicated. An acute seizure. Would be contraindicated.
1: All of those would be do the vitamin C instead of the ozone. You have plenty of oxidative stress. Basically, yeah. you're just trying to stop sepsis. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: have you gone down to your local hospital? And you're in Carson City, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I used to I used to live on on the hill up there uh, no by Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Uh, nice. It was it was years and years ago, uh, and a beautiful part of the world up, up by Tahoe and. Uh, have you gone to the local hospital? In fact, that's the one I would have gone to if I fell skiing, probably. Um, have you gone in there and said, hey, guys, I know a thing or two, uh, you know, let's let's hook some ozone up in here, or do they just roll their eyes and go the other way?
2: You know, I haven't done that. Um, I have made some efforts uh, with the president's, uh, his COVID team. I have made some efforts to kind of come around, and I am working trying to get some information into that team because i think that's the only way you're going to get anything yeah. done here the conventional guys in a hospital their hands are tied they, they can only do what the administrators are going to let them do they can't you know it's sad but we're at a time in our lives where doctors don't really get to decide what to do with their patients yeah. you got some dang bureaucrat that's deciding that
1: and, and people may you know roll their eyes and say you know oh you don't work in a hospital how do you know i just had uh uh, Dr. Ann Shippy on, uh, on my Instagram, and she's a former IBM chemical engineer turned medical doctor. And uh, you know, uh, she had a patient uh, who had it, was tested positive, it was recovering on chloroquine, took him to the local hospital, and they put him on, get this, fluids, IV fluids. And he started getting worse. And, and she said, what, what are you doing? Like, I already have him on this med, just keep giving him what's already working. And they said, "Oh, our hospital committee has decided that our standard of care for COVID is fluids until you need a ventilator." And like, why would you go to that hospital? It's,
2: it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, You don't want to actually go to the hospital. It'd be probably the one of the more unsafe places you could be, unless you actually really needed something like a respirator. You, you don't want to be in a hospital.
1: Yeah, it's not a good time there. And plus, you know, the doctors are working their butts off. So I, I, I find that when you talk to someone who's practiced for decades like you, um, every time I have these conversations, I hear the same thing. Like we used to get to practice medicine where we'd say, okay, I'm going to use my judgment, my clinical experience, my read on this patient in the room with me. And I'm going to choose from the tool set available. I'm going to do what I think is right. Uh, and then in this idea that we're going to reduce risk, we actually reduced the ability to do anything other than average. Um, Good point. Yeah. I'm also hearing from, uh, uh, For my wife, uh, emergency medical room uh, physician uh, from Sweden. And uh, she said, Dave, something's wrong. She, she said, in all medical settings that she's ever been in, uh, at least in in Sweden, where she spent most of her time practicing, some in Norway, um, there's an emergency room. And if there isn't enough resource, then some people don't get the resource. And that a, a part of being a doctor is saying, you know what? Actually, you're not going to make it. <laughs> and that, you know, th- this is a part of medicine Say you know, you know, no matter how much we throw at you, your chances of making it are essentially uh, zero. So we're not, we're going to re- preserve those resources for someone who will actually benefit from them. Um, and, and she said that when she talked with doctors, when she started practicing in the US, uh, just on rotation or on visiting doctor status and all, that that was just a foreign concept to, to them. That said, so, well, no, like you, you have to do everything possible forever and, and that one of her uh, friends here, an older doctor who was in his 70s said, uh, hey, um, one of the, the big difficulties here is now people believe that if they bring someone alive to the emergency room that they're gonna walk away. Like, like the concept of someone dying in a hospital is gone. Over your 50 years of practice, how is the attitude towards this is a non-resuscitable condition even though you know you're, we haven't done everything yet, how has that shifted in the U.S.? Because I mean, you have enough history to, to really see the change over time that I would never be able to see.
2: You know, that's a good question. I don't know that I've really thought that one out. Uh, I would have to say that when you were saying that people's impression is you don't die in a hospital, I would have to say that's that impression has increased now over what it would have been fifty years ago. Yeah. You know, fifty years ago, you go in a hospital, you die. Nobody's going to probably think badly of that necessarily. Okay. The, this day and age, they're going to probably be more likely to think something went wrong. They did something wrong. They didn't do something right. Okay. And, and I, I. And then there's the liability issue, which is a whole other deal.
1: Yeah, that's driving a lot of this. Yeah, you know,
2: if you if you save the one person, uh, uh, or don't save the one person, as the case may be, but you throw everything you have at them, and and other people can't get that treatment now because you're doing that from a liability place that's where you want to be
1: it it's uh it's a big issue how do you get around that i mean you have a you have a clinic you're doing ozone therapy uh and how do you manage uh, liability with that because you're doing some of the most effective medicine that there is uh from my perspective uh uh, but it's not always looked kindly upon by big pharma so how do you walk that walk if you don't mind you know don't mind me asking that on the air
2: uh you know a lot of the times doctors are kind of floored when I told them I haven't had malpractice insurance for 35 years. Wow. A lot of doctors a lot of doctors are floored by that. And they say, "Well, why don't you do that?" And my answer is cuz I don't kill anybody. I don't do <laughs> I, I don't do wow. anything that requires that insurance.
1: Because you're doing ozone and therapy, I'm which doesn't do that. I'm spending time
2: with my patient. I'm developing a rapport with them. Uh, where I I give them the options. We're we're talking about what's going on. We're having a dialogue. I'm not like spending five minutes and telling them what to do. They understand. They're part of the decision making process. And um, so that's. I don't need it because nobody ever actually gets hurt from what I do.
1: Uh, so that's how you manage a risk. Don't hurt people. Who, who, who would have thought?
2: You know, it's one of the really, looking back on it over the years, that's what really probably propelled me to get into this. Uh, a lot of my colleagues that are into alternative medicine got into it because they got sick or a family member got sick and alternative medicine fixed them. I didn't come in that way. I just came in because after I graduated from medical school and went out into medical practice, uh, and very quickly within a year, you know, I learned that all I'm doing is not really helping people and making half of them sick from the medicines I'm giving them. Okay. And that's what propelled me. I don't like making people sick. I don't like making people well. I can't stand the thought of creating more pain in a patient or creating more disease in a patient. I just can't do that. It's not part of who I am. And I'm not going to do that. And that's what's propelled me. So anything that's safe, I'm game for it. You know, right. As long as it's safe, I'm good. I don't have to have some proven study. I don't have to have a known mechanism of action. I like that, but I don't need that stuff. The number one thing I want to know is what I'm going to do is safe. After that, everything else comes.
1: So if it's safe uh, and uh, and you're seeing that it works, uh, the worst that will happen is that it doesn't work. And Exactly. Uh, the- yeah. and the therapies you're using are a little cheaper than you know seventy thousand dollar drug that's four percent better than placebo, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is not uncommon at all. Yes, that's okay. way too common. Um, well, <laughs> just... I I appreciate you coming on to talk about uh, ozone therapy and, uh, and and just how broad spectrum it is, and because I think it if there ever was a time that ozone therapy. Um, can and will rise in awareness, it's now. Because it's cost-effective, it's highly effective against anything. You don't have to be tested for COVID to know that ozone therapy is likely to help you recover more quickly from any condition. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And and it's about that increasing resilience, so maybe less people need to go to the hospital. And that's not, at that point, flattening the curve. It's actually lowering the curve, which is a different animal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, our goal should be to make it so everyone gets the coronavirus, but no one knows they got it.
2: <laughs> that, <laughs> okay. That's a lot laudable goal. Sooner or later, <laughs> you're gonna get exposed to it. This yeah. strain probably, it's not likely you're not gonna get exposed to it sooner or later.
1: It, it will Let's happen. let be ready
2: for it when it happens.
1: Yeah. yeah, just be hard to kill. You'll be good. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, your uh, your book, The Ozone Miracle, is absolutely worth reading uh, for for anyone listening to the show. And your website is um, uh, your website is theozonemiracle.com. That's one of them. But your main website is antiagingmedicine.com. dot com. And and so, if you guys want to know more about Frank and his work, we're talking fifty years, multiple papers, multiple books. And just uh, an incredible body of knowledge around anti-aging uh, and how uh, the the power plants in our cells are integrally tied and how you can talk to them using the power of ozone or hydrogen peroxide. Uh, and to date, I don't know anyone who's talked about uh, nebulizing hydrogen peroxide. I think you invented it as far as I can tell. Uh, and in terms of using that for lung specific conditions, very interesting idea. And I think it's worth uh, further exploration. So if you are a doctor, you are uh, out there working in a hospital or something or at, at home. I'd love it if you just hit me up on Instagram, direct message me. Uh, tell me if you've if you've seen this work. and if there's uh, people who have seen it work, I'll do my best to share it uh, with with others. Um, uh, not that I'm recommending this, not that anyone can say that this is good or bad for coronavirus, uh, but we can say based on uh, what Dr. Schellenberger says, that uh, that nebulizing hydrogen peroxide has a, a long history of use that's been safe. Uh, so is it likely to cause harm now? Probably not. <laughs> and if you find, hey, it turned me around, it, it kept me safe, whatever, I'd love to get anecdotal evidence knowing full well it's not a clinical trial. So, so thank you, Frank.
2: Okay, Dave, thank you for
1: all the good work you do. Thanks for having me. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes, maybe head on over to daveasprey.com, my blog, and there'll be full transcript notes, links to everything you want to get, and you're going to find even more stuff about what you can do to be way more resilient, because now is the time.
0: The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.